0: this episode of the best seats podcast is brought to you by well you to learn how you can support the show go to thebestseats.com slash patreon once there you'll learn how you can get early access to shows ad-free listening the ability to submit questions comments concerns and more once again that's thebestseats.com slash patreon but enough of that on to the show What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 80 of the Best Seats podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of the Best Seats. Thank you to my friend Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AliCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you do enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. Share it on social, etc. It helps other folks discover it as well. Uh, We are officially on Amazon Podcast now. I don't know what the holdup was, but that has officially been fixed at the time of this recording. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. And as always... A reminder for these past, I don't know, eight or so episodes since we got into the new year, there is the exclusive post show with the guests exclusively over on Patreon. So make sure that you are signing up. Not only does your support help this little show carry on, keep chugging and become the biggest one in Orange County as it is destined to do, but you're getting all the exclusive content that comes with it. But you already heard that in the opening if you listen to it on free feed. So let's jump in to this episode, episode 80. Um... I'm just so freaking excited. I love this one. Uh, when everything broke down in 2020, I there were a handful of places in Orange County that I was scared for. I didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if they would survive. I really wanted them to, um, mostly for selfish reasons. At that point, it was about places that I really loved, friends, things like that, uh, places that I thought were very important to the culture of hospitality in Orange County. My guests today are one of those spots, and not only did they survive, but they are thriving, and I could not be happier and more humble to sit down today with Brian and Robin Christensen, owners and founders of Blinking Owl Distillery in Santa Ana. Um, And when I say thriving, I don't just mean that they won their fight with the ABC, then got into a shutdown, then started pumping out sanitizer, then kept like keeping things aging and keeping the distillery going. They also then turned it into a restaurant. They turned it into one of the best brunches in Orange County. They're still making new products. They're growing. They're innovating. They have done so much more than survive. In this episode, we sit down to talk about that process, but also the process of how did they get into this? Why did they get into this? Why did they make some of the choices that they did, such as brewing Aquavie out here in Orange County? One of my favorite spirits that they make, a spirit that I didn't even know I loved until I had theirs as an amateur drinker when I first moved to Orange County and discovered their Aquavie for the first time. Um, They're the nicest people in the world. Their story is so cool, so genuine, Their energy level is just so infectious. They're so humble and just great. And they're everything that hospitality is that's good. They're one of the reasons that I love this industry. And whether I know it or not, one of the reasons I think that I got into what I'm doing now, they're the type of stories that I want to tell. All 80 guests or all 80 episodes, I guess all the guests included, are stories that I've wanted to tell. When I knew that I was setting out to make this podcast, though, initially, and I was kind of making a list, you know, five people, if I could get five guests, right? Five episodes, and then we'll see if this thing survives. And it has survived for 80 episodes, and I thank you for that. But when I was first setting out and I was like, all right, who would be my dream five? They were on that list. And no offense to anybody else. I love all of you. You're all my people. I love you to death. But anybody who knows me knows that I'm a spirits fan. So what better way to celebrate that than Orange County's own blinking owl? So I hope you will enjoy this episode. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Thank you so much to them for taking the time. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody on Patreon. We'll get to the thank yous afterwards, though. You got an episode to listen to. And that episode is number 80 of the Bessies podcast. Can't believe we're here. Featuring the owners and founders of Blinking Owl Distillery in Santa Ana, Brian and Robin Christensen. Enjoy. Beautiful day up at Blinking Alp, glad to be back, and extremely excited to be sitting down with the both of you. You are people that I've wanted to get on the show for a bit, obviously, with things the way they've been the past two years, trying to pin down anybody's free time is a difficult thing to do, so thank you so much for taking the time on this beautiful day to sit down. Before we dive into a bunch of the things that I want to talk about and discuss, would you both mind taking a moment to introduce yourselves, give a little bit of your background and and how you got to be here today? Ladies first.
1: Uh, hello, I'm Robin Christensen, and um, I'm one of the founders of Blinking Owl Distillery, along with my husband Brian, who will introduce himself in a second. Um, I actually have a background in healthcare, and I just figured why not go from health to wellness? So now we own a distillery. So uh, that's a little bit about my background and my passion uh, with this whole project. Really, is uh, the California grain scene and uh, just trying to take care of the soil and have a business that promotes that.
2: And I'm Brian Christensen. I'm the founder. I'm the one that talked my lovely wife into buying into this crazy uh, dream. Uh, My background before this was in advertising design, Um, but always been a home brewer. Uh, We got really into wine, studied wine, made wine. That led into learning about distilling for me. And I was ready for a career change. And nobody was doing this at the time in our region. And following the return to regionality in terms of uh, restaurants, breweries, and seeing it happen in distilling was really intriguing to me. So that led to a long process of studying, researching, developing a business plan, coming up with funding, finding the right partners. And here we are, I guess, seven and a half years later, but open to the public five and a half years.
0: I've had your your former master distiller uh, Ryan Friese. He was on the show a couple episodes ago. I think Distilling California is the name of that one. If anybody wants to go back and hasn't listened to it, um, so we talked about blinking out just a little bit, but that was more of kind of a gloss over from the both of you. And I love that you say you're in healthcare because old school again, liquor was healthcare. That's half the reason that stuff survived Prohibition is for health benefits. Um, why here? Why, why kind of this path? Why, you know, spirits when, you know, you mentioned home brewing and wine and things like that. Spirits are a little bit harder of a way to enter into the market um, with so much competition and then obviously regulations and things like that. Why spirits?
2: Well, I think many reasons. We love wine, but opening a winery just seemed like an even bigger task than a, winer or a distillery. Um, also, at the time there wasn't as much competition in distilling. Um, and we take a very similar approach to winemaking. We're really big into soil, farmers, how they're taking care of it. Terroir. Terroir. Yeah. We firmly believe if you get good grain, you handle it, ferment it, distill it correctly, age it correctly, or not age it, that it will transfer, as Robin likes to say, soil to, gr- to glass. So um, it's the long, hard, difficult way to do it, but... It's kind of, we don't want to put anything out there that we wouldn't drink ourselves personally.
1: And there was a bit of family inspiration for yeah, Brian as yes, well.
2: Yes, I grew up listening to the stories of my great-grandfather and how he was a bootlegger during Prohibition. He had a dairy farm in a small town in Nebraska, and he, during the Great Depression and during Prohibition, he had built this big house, and everybody was like, how can that dairy farmer afford that house? Well, he built into the... Farm's irrigation system, the water that would run into the still that was actually in the basement of the house. And he just dist- <laughs> had a false wall, all those things you see in the movies. And he distilled from prohibition all the way up until the end of the s- Second World War. That's um, amazing. So um, obviously it's glamorous now, but back then it was kind of looked down upon. Yeah. Shady. They didn't keep records of all the recipes because you. You know, are in you know, you're a criminal. Essentially, nobody wants a paper trail. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of intriguing and kind of fun story. So, I guess it's literally in my blood. Why this location? Why Santa Ana?
1: So we moved to Santa Ana. We're from, we're both from Utah. Brian's born and raised there. I'm a little bit of a mutt, but I lived there, and that's where we got married and met and all of those fun things. And then we moved to California um, for Brian's art school in 2001. Um, 2001. And um, we ended up in Santa Ana in the very first loft development that was built downtown in 2003. And we absolutely fell in love with the city. Um, at the time, it reminded us of Brooklyn, we called it Brooklyn West or Silver Lake South. I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a cool little town, and um, I mean, there were there were very few things here back then, and we just fell in love with it, and we've lived here ever since. Um, we um, have a lot of Santa Ana pride. Yeah, and-
2: we quickly made friends who taught us all about the deep, rich history of this city, which most people in Orange County don't realize. Um, so many cool things. It, uh, downtown used to be lined with shops and. Bars and restaurants, and it was the hub of Orange County. Yeah. And even Robin's mom, who grew up in Whittier Montebello, has fond memories of coming here as a kid to go Sunday school shopping, or it was like the place you went. So, Sunday shoes. Sunday shoes shopping. Shoe shopping. <laughs> That's
1: yes. I must get it from somewhere. That's um, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Correct.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it's just a fascinating city. And then to tie into that, uh, the fact that Santa Ana is. Well, maybe not well-known, uh, but people don't realize that Santa Ana is known for having such good water. Um, our water district takes really good care of the water. Um, they, have, they work with the county. They are able to pull from good parts of the aquifer. They supplement it a little bit with Owens and Colorado. But what people don't realize is that the city has won best-tasting municipal water in the United States multiple times. Um, there's a fancy water tasting contest in Virginia, and the city's always in the f- top five or ten.
0: Okay, this podcast just took a hard right because now <laughs> all I want to talk about is this national water tasting contest. <laughs> it's and amazing. And I'm deeply, deeply interested in that. Um, when you guys did first settle down here, you got the space. What was the process like of kind of when you first got everything set up to when you were first putting something into a bottle? For people that are kind of curious about distilling, obviously they can go and look at the full process of it and the the kind of science behind it, how you create alcohol. That's obviously for a different story, but the process for you all of getting the space, what was the timeline until you first were able to bottle something?
1: Long. Long
2: time. (laughs) About double the time we expected, but it was about two years from submitting plans, finding architect. Contractor, all of those type of things it, i mean we'd never done it before and looking back at it it's just like a blur it, w- it was it was difficult and i always try to tell this with other young uh, people who are interested in distilling like just prepare yourself because yeah. getting through all the permitting the processes um construction finding people i mean we had a long hard road Two years, and I won't go into too many details because it will bore people. Yeah, yeah. Um, But after a whole hell of a lot of work and obstacles and mistakes, we got open. Um,
1: And we were the first ones in Orange County, so nobody knew what to do with us. I mean, the city of Santa Ana was amazing. Um, We You know, fire department, there's so many rules in fire. You're very explosive. So everything in here is explosion proof. Um, We got to, you know, you're like buddy-buddy with your fire consultant. Um, There's so many people needed for a team. Uh, It's not just, you know, there's so many pieces and so many regulatory bodies that we had to go through. ABC, TTB, um, county health, state health county fire, uh, all, I mean, it just is endless. So, yeah. um, FDA, <laughs> it, it's, it's, there's so many things. So it was just AQM one thing after yeah, <laughs> the next. And we learned along the way it was painful and it was just glorious when we did get open, but little do we know that was actually the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> once we, once we actually opened those doors and sales, you know, all that stuff is there's, you know, we think that the battle is getting open, but There's so much more after that.
0: I mean, before I ask the the mandatory question of surviving, you know, the past kind of two years and everything else, I mean, you guys had bumps in the road before that that people can go read about dealing with licensing issues and things like that. I want to talk about the bottles themselves. How did you guys decide on what your portfolio was going to be? Because obviously there's, you know, the vodka, there's the bourbon, both of which are delicious. But I mainly want to know where Aquavie is came and in it but how did you guys decide on what you were gonna make so I think the,
2: con- the concept for me anyway was at the time we're gonna open the things we really want to f- focus on are Aquavit and we knew no most people didn't know what Aquavit was but because I have some Swedish history and I didn't grow up with any of it uh, had a friend who was living in Sweden and she kind of shared it, it's the spirit of choice there that just led into researching and tasting different things and falling in love with this distillate that at the time when we opened, there was only one brand being imported in the U.S. and only a handful of small distillers maybe making it.
1: Like around four distillers. Yeah. And now there's you know, plenty. know, yeah, Aquavid's well, a lot yeah, more I, mean, I was yeah. going to yeah. say the first time now. that I
0: had it was yours out here in Orange County, probably right when it would have released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just a beautiful, interesting distillate
2: and also... And knowing we wanted to make that whiskey, um, I'm always a big whiskey fan, um, but knowing we needed to make some other products, so we were open and tasting other things. Uh, we knew vodka could be a good one to market. It's a difficult space to be in. Um, we knew that, but ours is really different. It's 100% organic California grain-based vodka. Um, so those were what we started with. And even learning those distillates was difficult so we hired Ryan Friesen who was our former head distiller and he had not made any of those distillates before other than whiskey Uh, so we worked as a team to develop all of our recipes you know uh, our still manufacturer uh, who was from Germany was very helpful in helping us learn how to run the still I mean it was really exciting the first day we made neutral spirit which is For those of you that don't don't know what vodka is before it becomes vodka. And it was so cool to be like, wow, I never realized making a craft vodka could be so rewarding because vodka gets a bad rap for many reasons. Um, So it was just a, it it started with those and then it bled into a few other things to fill out our portfolio. And you know, it would be great if we had time and money to sit and make everything. And in the future, I think, when time and money allows, we'll invest in a smaller pilot still that will allow us to experiment and Mm -hmm. get feedback and do some more uh, one-off things that will probably mostly be featured here at the tasting room. But
1: the other big thing that we wanted to do specifically, and we don't even like flavored vodkas, but we live in Orange County and we thought we'd be really losing an opportunity if we didn't corner that market. And it actually turned out to be one of the most delightful spirits that we make. We use uh, oranges from the Heritage Museum of Orange County, which is in Santa Ana. So mm-hmm. we couldn't even get more local than that. And also Nissan Ranch in Tustin. And we use Valencia oranges and we love the story of it. Um, and it's so pure and so delicious. So we actually now have converted and love flavored vodka. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's uh, when you use real ingredients, I don't know how else you would describe Orange County terroir. Having not been born and raised in Orange County, we have a lot of customers who tell us it tastes and reminds them how when Orange County was primarily orchards, when the orange blossoms would bloom, they're like, this is just like that.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. um,
2: So it's it's a fun product that really speaks to place um, and orange county being that place
0: the the craft spirits world as a whole has exploded the past couple years Um, obviously the craft cocktail scene exploded probably within the past 13 14 years depending on where you look at kind of the genesis of it orange county right when you guys would have started about eight nine years ago was really on the cusp only a couple bars really getting big now everybody's got great bars and great bartenders i mean you guys alone in your bar have great bartenders what was it like? You mentioned being the first distillery. I've had reps on the show before, good friends of the show. We talk about what it's like to do on-prem sales and things like that. When you first made your first products, how did you get them into people's hands? Did you just kind of show up at bars being like,
1: hey, we're doing this. We drink a lot. <laughs> we eat and drink a lot. <laughs> we <laughs> drank a lot around town and we had a lot of um, friends. We had a lot in of the yeah. owned b-
2: bars and restaurants. but And we knew we could try to drive people here to sell out of our tasting room but uh, you know it was not easy and, was not easy. and it's still not easy. distributions a whole complicated thing because uh, you have the three-tier system we can't sell direct when we first opened this distillery the license type we have now did not exist so you had a type 4 and a type 6 and California distillers were not allowed to sell anything on their premises they could only let people taste three-quarters of an ounce per person per day, and they could not charge for it. So the people who formed the California Artisanal Distillers Guild have done a lot of hard work on limited budget. People like Lance from Winters from St. George mm-hmm. and Melcon from Green Bar and Chris Stellar from Dry Diggins, and they did a lot to get this updated legislation, which was a game-changer for all of us craft distillers. That allowed us to sample three— or. One and a half ounces per person per day sell up to three bottles per person per day out of your tasting room. And then if you add a kitchen, uh, then they, it comes with even more benefits um, and things. And they're still working currently on getting some direct consumer shipping in California made permanent because right now it expires at the end of this month um, because they put it in place for COVID relief because obviously we, it, it, it it helped save our business from going under. Yeah. I know a lot of other distillers who benefited greatly from it as well. Um, and I think I got off track, so what else was yeah, I? Well, no, no, I'm,
0: I'm actually good you did the sidebar because I wanted to talk about that. And again, this this episode, depending on when people are listening to it, will be releasing middle of March. You mentioned that a lot of those kind of COVID release are ending end of March, so I want to stay on this because this is very important. It can't in my mind, it can't just be that there's a higher ABV that you're dealing with. Why are distillers treated so differently than wineries and breweries I mean, it, when it comes to things like this?
2: It's a long, complicated thing, but the easiest way I can break it down is um, for many years, you know, we were looked at the evil distillate because it comes in higher strengths, and it's just really education. You know, one ounce of alcohol, all ethanol is ethanol, whether it's in yeah. beer, wine, and amounts just translate so one cocktail is typically equivalent to one glass of wine alcohol strength or one beer at seven percent there's graphs you can look at that explain how it works but i think a lot of it stemmed out of prohibition um and creation of the three-tier system and because at least in california wineries have been fighting to get things changed for you know 30 40 years yeah. so they got these laws changed where distilling was still kind of concentrated in certain areas in the united states because of prohibition then while the industry of distributors was fighting with wine the craft brewers kind of snuck in there and got many laws updated for themselves um, they still have some limitations in terms of shipping that should be changed and then here was distilling, and I think for many years it was just misunderstood, you know. Every, it's a long hangover of prohibition, and I think people are realizing now, like, this is, really doesn't make sense, you know. You, you can overindulge just as easy on any alcoholic beverage. You don't, I mean, the argument has been made, you get drunker quicker on spirits. Well, yeah, that could be the case, but you can get just as intoxicated on
0: anything. Yeah. One of my favorite things is that alcohol takes the polish off furniture and people. And I I don't remember (laughs) where I heard it, but there's, (laughs) there's faster ways to do it and there's slower ways. But again, if you're going to get there, you're going to get there. You're not going to stop somebody from getting there.
2: Well, I really, I mean, just in my own lifetime, seeing people's uh, habits and how they gather around spirits has changed drastically. Like when I was coming up, 21 earlier that's 45 years ago it was shots nobody really concentrated on this finely crafted cocktail unless you were maybe in new york or somewhere you know um but it's totally changed like we have customers now who want to bring their 21 year olds here to kind of teach them elevated way of consuming and i think the rediscovery of craft cocktails has definitely driven that so i think Also, with the invention of things like Uber, um, young people are so much more responsible when they drink. I think we just talk about it more, you know, it's, it's different. I think the culture around drinking is slowly maturing, becoming more European, if you will, you know. For people that are listening.
0: Well, it's time for a little commercial, yeah. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood now i'm a big fan of everything that amass does i have been since day 1 when they launched their trademark gin and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code the best seats 15 that's c e a t s at checkout now it's limited one per customer so make sure you load up but trust me you can't go wrong with anything they're doing i stand by amass a hundred percent they're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house so again go to amass.com that's a-m-a-s-s and use the code the best seats 15 at checkout trust me you will not be disappointed i don't know about you but 2020 had me re-looking at how i live and the space that i live in spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, A-G-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R com today. Once again, that's heirloom potager Well, you know, for people that are listening that may want to do what they can to try and help in some way to kind of make these voices heard, like yourselves, where these laws can stay in place and we're not constantly kind of having to fight these things. Are there resources that people can go to? I mean, is it just calling local legislation?
2: Uh, absolutely, call your representatives. Um, there's a great uh, uh, trade organization we belong to called. Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and they work with uh, they have a call to action site called uh, spiritsunited.org. Is that what it's called? And you can go to their website and they'll fill you in. They even have ways you can just click and email your representative, put your information in. Um, The thing that's really strange is most consumers are, they don't realize how restrictive the rules are. They're like, wait, I get people who try to you know over the years wanted me to ship things to them i'm like i can't legally they're like what that makes no sense yeah and i think you're seeing a change come toward this i mean our view is we're not trying to get rid of the three tier system you know there's always going to be a need for distributors and distribution. It's just just like
1: in food. You don't want when your company grows bigger. You don't want to go hand deliver every single order. It just doesn't allow for growth. So you don't want to cut out the distributor. um, And there are ways to not cut out the stores either because that's going to help you as well. But it really ties your hands when you can't sell, directly to a consumer or ship to their state or even in in our own state to just have that be an emergency provision rather than the norm so this is a good time to talk to your legislator because there's a lot of movement on this um and we're trying to make it permanent it's it's
2: passed the state senate it's now going through committee in the uh assembly so it's really good and you know we have 30 40 years of Wineries direct consumer shipping to prove our case. We also have two years of the pandemic which we were allowed and the ABC even Came out and did not find any negative data that changed things drastically like you don't see Underage kids all of a sudden trying to buy all this stuff and let's be honest Like if you're an underage kid and you're gonna drink you're gonna find some way to get your alcohol. Yep. So That's a whole nother story, but I th- we really have momentum. So People who I think it comes down to me, and maybe this is the libertarian thinking that as a consumer, I want to be able to buy from whoever I choose. And if I want to buy directly from them, I think I should have that right. You know.
0: So, So for anybody who's listening, when this does release before the end of March, do reach out and definitely get in touch with legislators because that is something that does need to stick around. Um, I don't want to stay all doom and gloom. Obviously the past two years fighting to survive, I think has been enough for pretty much everybody in this industry. You guys have not just survived, you have now thrived because we're recording this outside where you guys have transitioned to a tasting room. Basically, uh, you could say full on restaurant.
1: Full on restaurant. Yeah, I mean,
0: talk about this transition and getting this going and, and kind of working with the groups that you are and what it's been like in the reception from the community.
1: We have wanted this restaurant for so long, and it was a matter of um, money for sure. And um, actually, our our COVID relief strategy was to produce hand sanitizer, which just just blew up, and it was amazing. And it was such a great thing to be part of the community as well as actually actually make produce something, have everybody working, keep the team on, and uh, actually. Have income. so it enabled us to save enough money to start our restaurant, which is I just our biggest pride and joy right now. We're so proud of it. Um, we it's it's an amazing showroom for our spirits. Um, everything follows suit uh, with the same story as uh, the uh, the organic California terroir-driven uh, cuisine uh, is is what we've we've kind of springboarded from our spirits and um it's beautiful it's posh bar bites uh i kind of got the inspiration from having going to amazing bars in london and um on their teas they would they would have these awesome three-tier you know it's tea service but they would do it in like a bar form and that's what i wanted um granted no grody white bread cucumber sandwiches not that they're there's some good ones but I didn't want that I want so we actually put small bar bites um, in that form and it's it's magical it's so much fun we also have an incredible pizza program because um, Eddie Perez from Lola Gaspar came over along with his brother Lou um, so Lou is our head chef and Eddie is our pizza master and uh, it just everything translates. So Eddie actually hand grinds some of the rye that we use in our rye whiskey to make our pizzas. That's awesome. It's so cool. It's, it's so cool to see it come full circle. We have a gorgeous patio. It was really helpful during COVID to be able to be open. And we could not have opened, like bars had to stay closed for yeah. so much longer because they had to have food. So it not only enabled us to survive and open but thrive with this restaurant and it's it's beautiful It's so well received we're packed on the weekends um it's just really gaining momentum and we're loving it
0: that's excellent i mean before when people were coming in whether they were kind of like just picking up a bottle or they just wanted to try spirit grab a cocktail are you seeing just a new, just this massive increase of people now interested, not just in you guys, but in the spirits as well, because they're coming in and they're kind of getting that synergistic like relationship between the food and the actual booze?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, it's 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 a mega multiplier it, and we're seeing it also in the marketplace because we're starting to get more orders. Bars are reopening. People are asking for us because yeah. they visited here. So it, it helps all the way around. People are going to their... Their liquor stores and ordering blinking now they're ordering more online it it has just become such a great showroom for the spirits um i think specifically because we have that whole integration and it everything has a story and everything follows suit with our spirits so i think it's and then we have the tours back on now too we have the tasting flights on the menu so People are just getting such a good experience with those spirits, and then it's translating into sales. And I
2: don't think people realize that, even though we're a small distillery, how high quality of product you can make. And it's really fun to see people's eyes light up. Like, I had no—even educating them on spirits, like, I had no idea you could make bourbon outside of Kentucky. You know, those type of things. (laughs) And then other people who are whiskey bros who are like, I had no idea you could make— bourbon this good right here in Orange County, you know? So, but it's kind of fun. You're like, well, you can make good beer anywhere, you know? So why couldn't you make good spirits anywhere?
0: What's it been like both of you, um, uh, from a professional standpoint, obviously work-life balance has always been, and will always be a conversation in hospitality, no matter what aspect of it you're in. What has it been like for both of you to go from running a distillery to running a distillery tasting room bar restaurant?
1: <laughs> there's no such thing as work life
0: balance. <laughs> it's, it's, it's different for different folks.
1: We're always in work mode. I mean, we live super close and we live we just say we live here. I mean we do. Um this is our first home and then we have a little crash bed. So it there's no such thing. I mean we work all the time. The restaurant put that on steroids for sure, for me, um and for Brian. And now that sales are picking back up in distribution, uh, because that, that was non existent mm-hmm. um, through COVID. So you are pulled in so many directions. Um, I finally stepped back and hired a manager, which has been life saving, but I needed to know the job first because we hadn't done a restaurant before. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah.
2: I w- I w- like, I agree with you. There's no such thing as work life balance. And honestly, we couldn't have done this without our uh, people say never go into business with your friends but our two friends who are our family run the kitchen managed it and they took our idea of kind of comfort posh fun bar food and they made it better and that's a huge relief so because there's so much we're working on like we can't do it all we try and you just have to do what you have to do to to keep your business going uh but (laughs) yeah there's no balance.
1: No, actually my old my I owned a company prior to this and that's one of the things I prided myself on was that I could travel whenever I wanted. I didn't I didn't have to be in the business every day. I you know, I could kind of do my thing and and it my it was so perfect and then opening this it was absolute shock. It has been 5 straight years of working around I, you never are off you're working yeah. around the clock and then there's two of us in it so we never ever ever turn off but yeah, uh, unless it's, we it's go somewhere too, where there's you know, no it's cell phone service people. yeah we, we don't turn off yeah we tried last year for survival we started camping quite a bit so even if it's one day or two yeah, days yeah i know quite we, a few
0: people that will go out and do that just to get off the grid and just to be off absolutely. because even if you're away you still have your phone with you you still have email you still have, somebody is going to need something at, at some point
1: Yes. Always. And then if we're far, then we can't can't fix it. Somebody yeah. has to figure out how to fix it. So that was a lifesaver last year. This yeah. year, we haven't gone yet, but we really need to get out there. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I- See, and she said that on the record. So now you're really going to have to do it. <laughs> I know. It. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> um, when this all shut down, you know, March 16th, I looked around at a handful of people and I was, wasn't sure how certain people were going to make it. Um, blinking out was a place that I was very concerned about because the importance to Orange County cannot be overstated first distillery, what you guys have done and who you are and how you do it is something that I think is very, very important here. Obviously you Thank guys you. have survived, Thanks. you are growing and thriving. The restaurant is doing well, obviously. And for anybody who's listening that hasn't been Sunday brunch, it's all I'm going to say, just come to that because you're going to have a fun time. What does the future look like? I mean, now that, uh, now that you've kind of quote unquote on the other side, um, what does the future go from here? Well. I World don't, domination. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we have we have a lot There's of projects. So numbers. many
2: uh, irons in the fire that it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, but like many people we've met and we know in the industry, you know, they're like, if you can survive, at some point you're going to be w- walking this tight wire where all of a sudden your business starts to accelerate so fast, and. After being start-stop so many years, we really feel like our next step is growth. Um, and you know, it, now, now that COVID is, we're coming out of COVID, we're already starting to see a return to our, you know, business before that. But I definitely think growth is the biggest thing for us.
1: Yeah, distribution is—it literally came to to a screeching halt um, because you despite
2: know, all those articles you read about, that was for. Big brands, Big brands, little brands sold yeah, like crazy, not, but
1: not little brands. And it was so scary. And just to have less than the first year in distribution sales, um, and it just, you just felt like everything had gotten pulled away and taken from out from under you. And now, literally, it's just been the past two months. Um, suddenly, sales are just nonstop in distribution, which is fantastic. We finally have to start the still backup. We have people coming every single day who want us to make, you know, cra- a contract distill for them. Um, we've heard it forever, but now it's, it literally is, it's every day. We, we, Brian talks to people every week. Um, so that's in the works with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, the industry's
2: strange right now because we're about to be in, like, I don't want to say, uh, there's a barrel shortage, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to affect a bunch of distillers. Um, there's uh. Some of these brands that have been sourcing whiskey, they're now getting the faucet turned off. So they're going to be unable to source, which is good because it's a lot of opportunity for smaller distillers. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, you're seeing it across the portfolio of a lot of people. I mean, from the agave industry is dealing with this, the wine industry is dealing with this, not being able to get bottles. I mean, all of a sudden, there's a lot of little things. So all the kind of some of these ambitious plans, like you mentioned, contact, you know, contract distilling and things like that may not be able to do it or maybe it's an opportunity for somebody to grow but then that means that somebody else may not and something like that as far as the blinking owl portfolio itself is there obviously getting back up to production and getting and meeting those orders but is there any push to do something new a new spirit or maybe a spirit in a different way or a tweak on something classic
2: there's always that idea it's just time and money Um, so i think the biggest philosophy we have is make our core line of products excellent and continue to do it. But we're in constant talks. Our new head distiller, uh, Massimano, or Max, Mm -hmm. uh, Massimiliano, sorry.
1: Massimiliano. Um,
2: He is really into experimenting and coming up with some new stuff. So I think down the road, uh, we've always talked about doing some type of brandy with some type of grape or fruit grown in... Uh, California.
0: I was going to say, talk about a throwback to California history. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, there's a lot of Amaro liqueurs and different things we've talked about. And I think we're continuing to develop. So it's just a matter of, like I said, once we're back up and we have some extra income to invest in some new additional pieces of equipment, we'll get back to doing some of these fun things additional liqueurs and things.
1: One thing he's doing for us, um, so there's 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 two different sides of that. There's some, a product we would take all the way to the market mm-hmm. and we found that's really difficult and it's a huge investment be- when you already have a bunch of product, Like, we have nine products. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe some products like finishing um bourbon in a new type of barrel um rather than what we had done in the past which you haven't done any finishes on our bourbon.
2: Currently doing um, some.
1: The other thing I've always wanted to do and Max has really spearheaded this um and he did one for me was a schnapps program because I just you know nice. think it's a funny 80s thing to do and I've always wanted to do an in-house schnapps and they do it's not just 80s I mean that's how I remember it but um when we were in Scandinavia, schnapps
2: or
0: snaps and snaps,
1: Scandinavia
2: yeah. are a little different than. I think the US. a quarter of
0: the people listening just got a PTSD headache <laughs> thinking back to old school. <laughs> yeah, just, like oh God! Golden God. So, someone just had like to pull over on the side of the road snaps, and take a minute. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, we've always wanted an in-house. Snaps program. I love that. And uh, they do it in your Euro- They do it in Scandinavia. Like mm-hmm. every restaurant has their own in-house schnapps. And Max did one for us over the holiday, and so we're going to have a seasonal one come out at least in the tasting room. That's great. So we're really loving that program, and he's. It's so much fun because we're mixing the chef with our head distiller with our bartenders, and they're actually in R and D right now uh, for the new spring menu, which will hopefully launch some of it will launch next week. So it's Love pretty it. fun. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't want to keep you too much, much longer. Obviously I will keep you both around for a Patreon exclusive post show. Um, but I'm just so happy that things, things are thriving. You guys are booming and, and orders are up and, and blinking owl is definitely here to stay. Thank you. Thank you. As I said, thank you so much to Brian and Robin for taking the time to sit down Um, thank you to everybody for listening thank you to those of you that do support monthly on Patreon you make this show happen you are the reason that I am at 80 episodes I could not do it Without your support each and every month So thank you uh, Do not forget if you're listening on free feeds You're missing out on a bonus interview with Ryan and Robin So make sure you go over to Patreon If it makes sense to you Sign up for a monthly subscription amount You will get access to that And I'm very happy to say that there are new shows Finally coming after some technical difficulties But again, Patreon made it possible There's new stuff in the works that I'm very excited about The blog is about to come back You're going to get news stories Do not forget to sign up for the Urban Forging newsletter Etc <sighs> So good they're back. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who did support Blinking Owl and every other restaurant during those shutdown times. It's only going to get better from here. We are back. I know that there's still hardships out there. I know that it can be a little dark out there, but just have fun. Tip your bartenders. Drink well. Stay healthy. I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats, it's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Shale McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito NoRito. Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez. Thank you for your support.